Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Welcome to the More Clients podcast. Today with me as a guest is Mitch Russo. Now, Mitch has one of those kind of CVs that that um, are f- filled with such variety. I'm just going to pick out a few interesting elements. Mitch actually started life as a lead guitarist of a rock band called Absolutely Free. We should all look them up on Google to see if we can find any old YouTube recordings or something. Uh, I'm sure it predates YouTube, though. Uh, yes. But since then, Mitch has uh, worked in real estate state build a portfolio um used that to uh to fund the founding of a company called time slips corp which grew to become the largest time tracking software company in the world he sold that to sage um went on to run sage in the us um was nominated for inc magazine's entrepreneur of the year in 90, 1989 and 1991 um and then uh, i guess is a really important part of, of mitch's uh, mitch's background he joined his long-term friend chet holmes um, to form a company along, along with Tony Robbins called Business Breakthroughs, which provided coaching and consulting and training services to thousands of businesses. So Mitch, uh, Mitch was the president of that for a number of years. Now, as many of you know, um, I've followed Chet Holmes for quite a long time. And unfortunately, of course, um, Chet, uh, passed far too early. Um, and after that, uh, Mitch left Business Breakthroughs and went on to help other people, um, create, uh, you know, create their own coaching organizations and in particular help them grow and scale so that was a very long intro um i should also say that mitch is the author of the invisible organization which as we speak on the podcast is a kind of brand new book just published um so welcome to the podcast mitch Thank you, Ian. That was a great introduction. That's good. That's good. Hey, we are after after that intro. We are going to get straight down to business because I mentioned that um, what you've been doing for a number of years is helping businesses, particularly coaching organisations, to grow and scale. Now, you focus a lot on coaching businesses, but I think what we're going to talk about and the lessons you're going to share are just as applicable to consulting businesses, any other professional service type business as well that's driven by people going out and and serving clients um uh, now when it comes to to growing or scaling a coaching or any other service business there are a number of options you've got in my work i talk often about you know how to get more clients um growing your fee rates on you know producing products that will allow you to grow without using more of your time but of course uh, one of the big options is to actually scale the business by bringing other people on board to work with you and for you and uh, that's what we're going to we're going to focus on today. So, well, I think when when a lot of people form their 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 first professional service type business, be that a coaching or consulting, whatever type business, um, there's usually a couple of barriers they hit. Now, the first is obviously getting some clients in the first place. Mm-hmm. But once you've done that, once you're getting successful, once you're starting to bring a regular number of clients in, uh, people often hit a ceiling where they basically can't work any more hours in the day themselves. And so the obvious option for breaking through that ceiling is to bring in other staff. But if you've not hired and managed and, and had other staff in your business before, that that can seem really daunting, I find. Uh, it's like a whole new way of doing business. So my first question, Mitch, is about a, you know that kind of mindset shift. Does it take a different way of thinking to run a coaching or any kind of professional business with other people in it rather than just doing everything yourself? Actually, Ian, I think it does. In fact, I think it's a huge difference. And most people are moving or are staying solo as a solo practitioner in whatever business they're in mm. because of how sometimes difficult it can be to both hire and then manage those people who you brought on board. Mm. 
So one of the things that I try to advise my clients on is just as they're getting ready to prepare to hire their first person is to think through each step of the process and make sure that they're prepared. So, for example, when you hire somebody, and we'll talk about hiring as a separate process in a moment, what position are they going to take? If they're going to take the position of, say, coach or consultant in your organization, then they're going to have to come up to speed on what you know and your intellectual property. And usually that means that you're going to be busy teaching them a lot about who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things I do with my clients is I introduce them to a concept called learning management systems. Have you heard of that, Ian? Indeed, yes. I mean, I've, I've, I primarily come across it in the context of um, providing uh, online training for um, clients rather than for staff members, but I guess similar principles apply. Absolutely. And in fact, one of the things that I employed in all of my businesses for the last decade is to introduce learning management systems early on into the process so that as people learn their skills, they're actually embedding them and encapsulating them into a learning management system. So serving two purposes. One is that if uh, they happen to leave the company at some point in the future, another person can sit right down and take the the learning management system course that they prepared with my help. The second use of it, of course, is now that you bring in your next consultant or your next coach, you work with a learning management system to teach them everything you know so that when you hire somebody again, you no longer have to go through that heavy, uh, time-consuming manual process. Right, because I guess there's a, there's a challenge that uh, you know, you're bringing people on board so that you're not having to do all the the direct client work yourself. But what you don't want to do is be in a situation where you're then spending all your time teaching other people how to do what you did yourself. So right. you, 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 you always get people to put what they know and then work with their first new hire to create a learning management system that will then do the, the heavy lifting of the education for everyone else coming into the, into the company. Exactly. And one of the values of doing this is, number one, by, by organizing what you know, and by creating a system that somebody else can learn it, um, you'd be surprised at how much it clarifies what you do know and how you, how you teach it or how you even use the material and the knowledge that you have with your own clients. Yeah, I've definitely found that myself. Um, even at a simple level, I, um, you know, the, the very first time I started um, creating my membership site and um, I started putting the lessons into there, and I just found that improved the quality of my coaching because rather than kind of winging everything and just, you know, whenever my coaching clients had a question or a challenge, me kind of reaching into the recesses of my memories and coming up with ideas and strategies to help them with that, um, we, we often had a much more structured uh, approach to it because I'd already had to think it through in more detail. Sure. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you've done it, you did it for a reason and, and clearly you know, one of the reasons that you do it is, of course, to help train your next coach. Mm. But if you extend that just a bit and you think about how you can repurpose a lot of what it is that you embed in your learning management systems, they can actually turn into courses that you could use to sell to potential clients in the future. Yeah, so you've got a kind of byproduct that, um, that's valuable in its own right, as well as being an onboarding product for your for your team. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, all learning management systems are different. And I've 
I've done a lot of research. I, my research started about 10 years ago, um, and that's when I was running business breakthroughs. Uh, and the vice president of coaching came to me with this idea of creating a learning management system. And, you know, as the CEO, my first question was, well, how much does it cost? Mm. <laughs> and uh, at the time, they were very pricey. It was about $25,000 to get started. And I immediately said, well, now we really have to do a lot of um, objective analysis because at that price, you know, it's it's a bit of a challenge to just say, go ahead and let's give it a shot. Mm. So we went through the process. And back then, we did not go forward with learning management but I was so intrigued by the concept, I kept researching it with the thought that I'm sure that there's less expensive systems and better ways to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think on a on a almost on a side note to this discussion about scaling a, a professional business, I think learning management systems are for for clients as well are definitely coming of age. In that yes. we've gone through this. Uh, this period where um, lots of people like like ourselves are, are are putting our knowledge online. So rather than doing everything face to face with clients, we're codifying it and putting into into training courses and material that can be delivered online. And that's the kind of uh, the wave of the future. However, um, th- I think the first wave of just throw all your knowledge onto videos is kind of over. And now people are having to get to grips with well. That may not be the best way for people to learn it. What's a best? What's the best way for people to actually take on board new knowledge and new skills, and structure it in that way rather than just as a brain dump, which I think a lot of the original online training courses have tended to be. Right, and so if you look at some of the early contenders like Kajabi, they're really duplicating the VCR in a more modern way. Mm. And nothing is worse for me than having to sit in front of a forty-five minute lecture. Uh, and I mean, I'm checking my cell phone, I'm checking yeah. email, uh, I'm, you know, probably even taking another phone call while the tape is running because, you know, it's just so boring. And and those days, I think, at this point are pretty much over for most people who are aware, who have who've embedded enough information into learning management systems to really see the value. So let me highlight the value real quickly. The way learning management works is that the idea is to break your content up into very small chunks and then present your content, stop what you're doing, and then provide a quick and short assessment quiz. So now what you're doing is just presenting 6 to 15 minutes of information, stopping, asking some questions, ensuring full comprehension. And if there is not full comprehension, you get to take action. You can make them rewatch the video. You can make them read the transcript. You can ask them to do just about anything you want in order to move to the next lesson. Mm. So this is just one of the tools that I employ. I did happen to find one particular system that I think is really, really excellent. Do you mind if I mention it? Or? Of course, yeah, go for it. Okay, so so there's a company that has created a system that I ended up building an affiliate relationship with. And the reason I built this affiliate relationship with is because they were willing to offer five free seats inside of their system for free forever. So you could build as many courses as you want and you could train five people for free. So let me give you the short URL for it. It's tiny.cc forward slash Mitch. And that will get you direct access into the page that will allow you to sign up for five free uh, seats in this learning management system. Cool. So the other part about learning how to train somebody is making sure that once you get them trained that you know what they're going to do. 
And a lot of that comes down to organizing not just your work, but their work as well. So one of the things that I try to do is I try to make sure that when I'm screening people, I have a very clear idea of who I'm hiring. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how um, hiring is done in the U.K., but in the U.S., it's un- un- unfortunately, it's a little bit casual. Mm. Uh, people might say, oh, send me a resume and, you know, I'll look over your resume. And if you've had some similar kind of work, we'll have a chat. And, you know, you might be a good fit. You might not. So for me, um, that's not how I learned to hire. In fact, Chet taught me how to hire many years ago. And I've since refined that process significantly. And so I've created an entire hiring system that goes much further than just really checking whether or not someone's done a job similar to yours before. So in my world, what we do is we're looking for a psychological profile of how to hire an ideal candidate. Mm -hmm. And depending on the type of candidate we're looking for, it's usually a balance between empathy and ego strength. And you can measure those two things with a series of leading questions that help reveal whether a person is much stronger when it comes to empathy or ego strength. And ideally, for a coach, for example, you want somebody who has enough ego strength to take control of a situation, but enough empathy to really understand what a client's issues are and work with them to solve those problems. Okay, you see so, what I'm saying? Yeah. Would, would you say that profile is um, is unique to coaches, or do you think that would be a good profile for people in many professional situations that involve one-to-one client work? Oh, it's in, in almost in every situation, mm. if you want to know the truth. It's even, frankly, it was uh, initially taught to me as a sales uh, hiring system. Right. But But as we discovered, it really applies to almost every profession. Because in every profession, whether they're working internally inside of a company or externally with clients, this balance of ego strength and empathy is critical to their ability to, and you're going to love this word because you say it all the time, to communicate. And the skill of communication is the highest skill that anyone I hire can ever have. That's what I'm checking for. That's what I'm looking for. I'm always trying to ensure someone has the highest level and ability in when it comes to communication. Okay, so so going back then, when so when you're making that switch as a a coach, for example, who's been bringing on clients, working with them directly yourself, and you're you're, you're trying to expand by bringing on other coaches to work for you, you're, you're looking for obviously someone who, who can coach. You're looking for those communication skills that are a balance between empathy and ego strength. And then what you're going to do is when you bring them on board, you're going to um, get across to them the way that you want them to work um, as part of this onboarding and, and the creation of the learning management system that will allow you then to onboard other people in similar roles on, a, on an ongoing basis. Right, exactly. And then from there, what we're doing is we are trying to create a structure inside your company so that one of the things we set up that I set up with my clients through my coaching um, system architect course is to build a hierarchy or a actual plan before you start. So you know in advance that if you bring someone in, you're going to bring them in as a protege. Mm-hmm. And you're going to set goals for what a protege must do in order to become a mentor. And then you're going to set goals for what a mentor must do in order to become a master. Now we're talking about these terms, they can 
you could change the words, but the whole idea would be to define in advance exactly what a new hire must do in order to reach the next level of achievement. And and for you as the, as the employer in this case, your goal is to make a person as autonomous as possible, yet constantly checking for quality as you go along. Okay, that's that's an interesting question because uh, it's one of the things that, that struck me. As someone who's never gone down that route, I, I used to, I think for those who know my background, I used to work for some large consulting firms. So I'll be managing large projects with teams in there and getting involved with this sort of stuff. But I'm, I must admit, I found I, I much preferred the getting my hands dirty side to the, uh, to the managing mm-hmm. side. So I've never really got involved in this side and hired other people for myself once I set up my own business. But it strikes me... The, that 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 what what you've got there is um, a set of different day to day activities because you've got a coach who may be going from you know spending twenty thirty percent of their time doing marketing business development type activities to then um, they've got the onboarding process and the hiring process obviously uh, but on a day on on a kind of day to day basis then they're, they're now doing different things so you said there that they you've got to get the coaches you've hired to be autonomous. But you're doing kind of quality checking. So, what what does the diary of a of, of of a business owner who runs a coaching business look like as as compared to a a, a coach who's doing the doing? Oh, I'm so, I'm really glad you asked this question because what we're dealing with now is the transition period. Mm. So, so like you said before, you're a person who's used to doing everything yourself, and Ian, I know you well enough to know that you set up all of your own technology. You're very savvy when it comes to stuff like that. And, you know, you work with all of your clients and you write all of your programs. And, and that's the profile of my typical client. Mm-hmm. That's the person who's done this all themselves but now realizes that while it's okay and you can make a great living being a professional and expert coach or consultant, it's hard to create true wealth this way because ultimately, as most of us have found in business, the only way to create true wealth, and I'm defining wealth as excess money every month that gets set aside into an account and builds and builds and builds as you continue. That type of excess wealth takes a company to build. And in order to have a company, one must become the CEO and not necessarily the practitioner. Mm. So this transition point comes down to shifting your viewpoint. So many coaches and consultants um unless they've automated their systems and they're highly specialized in marketing, transition between marketing and working, marketing and coaching, right? So what we tried and what I teach in my course is I try to help people set up systems so that they are immediately able to generate an influx of new clients while they go about this process of transitioning into being a professional CEO. Now, what would be the responsibilities uh, of a professional CEO, number one, you're constantly going to be marketing and selling. So you now become the chief salesperson for your company. And you can keep clients because you like it, but ultimately your goal would be to transition away from only from, from most clients except the highest paid, most specialized client that you need to keep track of and work with. Mm-hmm. The second job is to now organize your business in such a way so that you're constantly checking for quality. Because if you, you know that if you set a brand new person off with your long-term clients, it's almost a recipe for disaster, right? <laughs> no, that would so, be, that would be my big, my big fear is how do I make sure 
because uh, historically of course in any any coaching business i guess the the clients there'll be there's two groups isn't there there's the existing clients who are used to working with you right um who you might want to transition some of them over time and of course there's the new ones but even the new clients certainly early on will be coming be be coming to the business because of you your reputation will be you know related to the 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 delivery quality that would be the Always, in, whenever I'm getting any work done by anyone who isn't me, that, that's my number one fear is, is the quality going to be right for right. my clients? Correct. And that's the, the process I described earlier. That's, that's in basically having a protege. So with your first client will be the most time consuming, your first um, hire, that will be the most time consuming element of this entire process. Yeah. Because in effect, that protege will be shadowing you all along the way and listening in on your calls and listening in on the recordings of your calls and then finally, at some point, you're going to introduce your protege to a client and you're going to ask the protege to start contributing mm. while you're on the phone, while you're there and while you're supervising. Now, once that happens several times and you're starting to feel comfortable with that, you have a conversation with your client and say, you know what, we're getting into the stage of our, our time together where my protege actually knows more about this element than I do. And on top of that, I can actually bill them at a little bit lower rate than you, mm-hmm. than, I, than, than I'd normally bill for myself. Would you like for me to, would you like to start working with Bob as opposed to me now in this, during this period? And then we could reconnect shortly thereafter to make sure everything is going well. Well, many clients will say yes, some will say no, but here's the chance now for your protege to really step up yeah. and start doing some work. Now, you're constantly checking in. So nothing goes on in this case without you knowing about it. And now you say to me, well, Mitch, then I'm going to be constantly checking in and listening to all their calls. How did I save any time? Well, that's where we get into systems. And that's where, again, my course covers this, my book covers this. We're talking about the types of systems that allow you to understand what's going on in your company at a higher level, at a higher granularity than you've ever been before if you ran a company. And these type of systems will allow you to look in and, in fact, some of these systems will allow you to literally silently barge in and even listen to the coaching calls as they're going on. But most people don't need to. Most people reserve that for their sales force as opposed to coaching calls. Mm. So ideally what's going to happen here is as you bring your first person up to speed, it's taken a lot of time, maybe more time than you thought. But the second person is going to go a lot faster. You see, and now what's going to start to happen is if you start to offset your coaching or your consulting with the second person, you're introducing the concept of leverage. And everybody understands that leverage simply means the ability to move a very large object with a very small object. Mm. Well, we're moving a very large object. In this case, we're generating wealth with several very small objects, which are other people like ourselves. So as the leverager, you get to leverage the income of all those folks that you've brought into your organization, that you've trained, and that using the legal documents that I provide, you're now guaranteed that those people can't take your clients, can't take your intellectual property, and go off and do it on their own. Yeah, good point. And uh, you do see that happen occasionally, the kind of the spin-off with, where uh – uh where someone will disappear and a whole bunch of clients will go with them. And you certainly don't want that because uh, then you're back to square one. True. But see, to me, that's a, that is a failure of management when that happens. It's not that a person 
wants to start their own company. I think we all know that just about everybody who can would want to start their own company. It's When I say it's a failure of management, it's because when you bring somebody in, you're almost cultivating them to do just exactly that, except you want them to build an empire inside of your organization. Right. So you want to make it better for them to do it inside your organization than it would be if they tried to do it on their own. So they're always motivated to stay. Exactly. Exactly. So now you're starting to see the bigger picture here. So we start with hiring and we start with a precision way to hire. Then we bring people on board and we start with a very, very careful and precise way of training. And then once we get these folks trained, we then going through a mentorship, protege mentor relationship. And we're now bringing folks on board that we know because we've trained them personally that they're going to do a great job. And then finally we move into the third stage, which is being the CEO, monitoring quality and generating your sales and marketing. So that's what the CEO in most organizations do. There's a, uh, obviously there's a fourth function that's a financial function, but in most cases, uh, uh, people like me find that particularly boring, and uh, I relegate that to somebody like a bookkeeper who I then check in with on a regular basis to make sure that you know everything is happening the way I think it is. And it, it sounds like if you, if you look then at the nature of the work that you are then doing in that CEO role, obviously it's 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 quite different. There's some I guess there's some prerequisites. Firstly, um, you've got to be able to let go. Because because what it involves there is some perhaps some long-standing client relationships or the, that you've got to pass on to other people. So you've got to be willing to let go. Um, you've got to have that ability to monitor um, and to manage and to to develop the talents of your of your people. Uh, but a lot of it sounds like you've got to be much more systematic than well, you would if you were just kind of running the business yourself and, and do it, delivering everything yourself because you've got to get other people to be able to do it. In a sense, I, 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 I pretty much agree with you, but I wanted to make the point that very few people are naturally able to do these things without training and without some help. Hmm. I mean, for me, um, delegating to others was very, very hard when hmm. I first had to do it. And and I found that it was always faster if I just did it myself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But but ultimately, when my company started to get to five, six, seven, and then eventually a hundred people, um, well, on my own company, that was my software company. It was impossible for me not to delegate. I had only one choice, which was to either go out of business or learn how to delegate. So, <laughs> I I I literally had to get training on how to learn how to delegate, and it was painful for a while. But but I. But the other problem I had, if you want to call it a problem, is that we were growing very, very rapidly. So for me, delegation and training had to take place faster than I was comfortable yeah. with. And that that was difficult and I made mistakes. But see, the idea behind doing this is having some training in place to make sure that it gets done the right way. The second thing about it you mentioned is systems. Now, I see... Um, there's a phrase that I like. It's a simple phrase. It's called through structure comes freedom. It's almost non-intuitive, but it's mm-hmm. so, so true. Because if you think about it, imagine, Ian, if you had to write every single email by hand on your own and you had to send it, press send for every person you sent an email to. I mean, clearly it would become much more time consuming to send emails to your, to your listeners, to your, 
clients to your prospects, right? Mm. So with automation, you can now write one email and have it sent to many. Mm. So the automation that I talk about in my book and, and in my course is all about taking things that you do naturally and finding ways to encapsulate them into systems that operate simply and easily so that you are always on top of the work that's being performed, whether you're performing it or others are. Mm. Just an interesting analogy. As, as you spoke, I was thinking back to my very first career, which was um, in R&D, in, in, uh, in, uh, in the computer, the, the IT sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this was back in the 80s. And at that stage, um, the quality movement was was kind of in flow. And the, uh, the company I worked for was trying to kind of install systems and processes and procedures to ensure that, you know, software wasn't delivered so full of bugs. Right. Um, and of course, the natural reaction of all the, all the, all, all of us in R&D was, uh, a new product development was, oh no, this will constrain our creativity, et cetera, et cetera. You don't, we don't want to have to follow these standards and these development methodologies. But of course, what turned out was that it stopped you having to reinvent the wheel all the time. Um, and so you were able to focus, you had more time to be creative, you know, the, instead of, because you, you, you fool yourself into thinking, oh yeah, I'm making everything from scratch every time. It's a really creative exercise. 80% of the time you were actually recreating something that someone else had done or you'd done before. And it was a waste of your creativity. Um, and, and by adopting systems and structures and processes, the 80% of the stuff just got done. Um, and you were able to focus your your time on being creative with the stuff that was important, that genuinely was new. So I guess a, there's a similar thing going on that uh, that that by by having systems and processes and various structures in place in the business, you can focus your brain power and your energy on the areas that really do require your thought, rather than the stuff that just needs to happen. Right. I mean, and to take this analogy to the nth degree. There are CEOs who run companies with 50,000 people or more. Mm. I mean, clearly those folks have systems in place. They're able to delegate. They have senior executives that they know are responsible for different very vari- different areas of the company. So, but here you are, you're a one person operation and you're thinking of bringing your second person in. And all of this seems so, so overwhelming to you. Mm. And, and the reason it seems overwhelming is simply because it's unfamiliar. And if you look closely at each of these steps, they're actually quite simple. They're actually pretty intuitive in many ways. And they're things that in other forms you've done before. Sounds so like, it's not, it sounds like that first step is the crucial one because um, when you bring that first employee on board or associate or however you're doing it, yes. um, that's when the key investment is. And it's the first time you've done it. So it's not working like clockwork. Um, and as you said, you're going to have to invest a bit more. You you could have, it would have probably been quicker and easier to do everything yourself, but you're having to invest time in getting this new person up to speed. From the second person onwards, it gets easier, but the first person is the crucial moment where everything's new and you've got to invest in them that you've got to get right. Um, you, you don't want to kind of bail at that stage where if it becomes too difficult. Correct. And so the other part about this is that when you start the idea of bringing a second person on board, you also have to look at what you do. So let's say that when you work with a client, you take them through some sort of a process that you invented or that you've adapted. Mm. And at the end of that process, there is a result. 
and that result is what is desired by the client because the client is, in fact, signing up for that result. Mm -hmm. Now, most people will look at that and go, well, I get, you know, my $225 an hour, and this typically takes between, you know, 12 and 15 hours. Um, And so when you're pitching this to the client, you can say, well, look, you know, you pay me by the hour, you buy them in blocks of hours, blah, blah, blah. See, in my training, the thing I try to do right away is I try to orient my folks to understanding what their specialties are. And I mean truly what their specialties are. And then once they understand their specialty, I then take my clients through a process of creating transformational programs. And you could call them anything you like, but I call a transformational program something that transforms my client, whether it's a big transformation or a small transformation. Mm-hmm. And then I price those transformational programs at two to three times what I would have earned had I charged by the hour. So if I'm, as an example, let's say I'm a, a coach and I help people stop smoking. And let's say I would charge, you know, 75 to a hundred dollars an hour. Um, but instead now what I do is I look at my process and I say, you know what? I'm going to charge $1,997 for a guaranteed stop smoking program. And at the end of my program, it's guaranteed that you will no longer be smoking or I will work with you until you're not. And I guarantee the results. So now what you've done is you've taken this, what you might have called a personalized process, and you've standardized it into a package. Now, once you understand that what you're doing, it's sort of like the analogy you gave a few minutes ago about software testing. I lived through that period as well with Time Slips Corporation, um, and I had to do just what you did, which was to ensure that the quality of my software was was in place or else I, would, uh, I wouldn't be able to reliably sell it to clients. Mm. In this case, what you're doing is you're taking what you know and you're packaging it into an outcome so that others can deliver it with the steps that you would normally prescribe. And a good, if you did well and you hired a good consultant or a good coach, then they are going to be able to work with the tools that you've taught them and provided for them so that they can get the same outcome. And now that changes the picture. That makes what you do a little bit more uh, um, um, quantifiable. And now it's easier to put a, put a wrapper around it and call it a product. So this is why I believe it's important to not simply go off and just hire somebody, but to do the prep work and understand what it takes to have an organization before you even create that first want ad to bring the next person in. Because mm. I think the temptation is from coaches I speak to who are looking to expand, the, the temptation is I've got too much work on, I'm not having enough time, I'll just hire someone else and pass some work to them. And that's not what you're suggesting. You're suggesting you have to think first about packaging packaging up what you do into these programs with a defined outcome that it were a, were a client's essentially buying the outcome and getting a return on their investment, really, yes. um, rather than thinking about how much time they're hiring, etc. Then when you've got those defined outcomes in those programs, then you can think about hiring the right people to deliver those programs. You can train them to deliver the programs. Um, and it, it, it's then... I guess it takes away the thing about, you know, we have to invest some more time in doing it initially, but then it gets better. It's just a fixed, the, the client doesn't see that. They just get their outcome. 
Exactly. And if it takes longer to deliver the first outcome, then ultimately it doesn't matter because the client is going to be happy with the outcome and that's all you care about. Yeah, and they've got they've got it. If you know the the fact that the, your your coach is relatively new or just learning your process doesn't make it any more costly for the client because you've given them a a kind of a, you know a fixed program with a with a defined outcome rather right. than the fact it takes it takes longer and therefore they're paying more if they're paying by the hour. Exactly. So the next question that I get when I have an interview like this is, well, well, Mitch, that sounds great, but I mean, it, I, how much do I have to pay somebody to come into my organization? It sounds like they'll be working for some period of time. Uh, before I get an, uh, any any money back uh, from my investment, and the answer to that is very simple. The way I structure helping my clients hire and bring folks into their organization is to pay them a percentage of whatever it is that they generate in terms of revenue. And when I worked for BBI, the percentage that we used was sixty forty, where sixty percent went to the company and forty percent went to my coaches. And most of my coaches were were thrilled with that because we had a constant flow of new clients coming into the company. Yeah, so the, 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 that's the thing is there are a lot of coaches who are very good at coaching but who are not so good at the marketing and winning client side. That's why many come to come to my side, et cetera, and, and, and yours too. So yes. there, there, are, there are a lot of people who are actually very skilled coaches yep. but would really like someone to just do all the business development type stuff for them. Yes. Um, and of course, if you're pricing per package and you, you've got a good premium on there. Yep. Then actually, it's not like they're only getting 40% of their, uh, of their previous rate. They're probably making as much as or more than they were previously making because they're busier. They're not having to do all that marketing themselves and the rates are higher. Exactly. Exactly. And now what ends up happening is that you have a, an army of coaches that you've employed now that are not fixed overhead at all. You are deploying them as you bring and as you scale your company, and as you bring more and more clients in, you're then allowing these folks to get to work and, and generate money for you mm. is what it comes down to. Sounds like, it sounds like premium positioning is key though here as well, because if you're, if you're doing that kind of 60, 40 split, then the, the, that in order to be attractive to good coaches, the 40 has to be worth it. It can't just be, it can't be 40% of the minimum amount a coach get paid, gets paid. It sounds like it's important to establish your firm as a premium provider, I would guess. Absolutely. Which is why I said in the beginning, I help my clients establish their specialty. Mm. So if a client comes to me and says, well, I said, what kind of a coach are you? And they say, well, I'm kind of a general coach. I help with life coaching and business coaching. And, and, you know, my answer to that is, well, you, you may have to find, you may have to stop doing it that way because ultimately you'll never be able to scale your company as a generalist. It's important that you find your specialty. And I take people through some exercises that help them find their specialty. And once you've found what your specialty, and sometimes there are multiple specialties, but usually there's a primary specialty that a, uh, that a coach or a consultant has. And once I help them find that, then and only then, are we able to start the process of creating these transformational programs? And I'm, I'm guessing that when it comes to the marketing on an ongoing basis, whereas um, a coach or a consultant or any, any professional, when they're marketing themselves and they're a solo business, um, often they're marketing their own expertise and their background. They're kind of, they, you know, their resume is often their marketing. 
you know, I've done this, I've achieved these results, etc. When you are running a coaching business with other coaches doing it, you're more selling the actual outcomes from the from the programs and the track record of the program delivering the result, not necessarily the individual coaches. Obviously, clients are going to want to know about the individual who's going to be working with them, but you've got to put an emphasis on the program. Yes, it's a transitional process. You're still selling yourself throughout the beginning stages, and then later what you're doing is you're switching to the most powerful form of selling ever created by a human being, and it's called testimonial selling. Once you start using testimonial selling, then your sales, your the people that are attracted to you are only those people who need exactly what you have, which makes your marketing less expensive because you're no longer marketing to the general population. Instead, you're marketing to the tiny slice of the general population that needs your specialty and needs your transformations. Mm. Excellent, excellent. Any 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 further thoughts, um, Mitch? We, we've covered um, kind of getting into and the, the, the a little bit about hiring, um, about managing how you how you manage and the information you use, about the need to package up what you obviously specialize first, then package up what you're doing into these programs. So and then having people deliver the programs, talk about learning management to get them up to speed. Are there any other critical components you would say um, as you're looking to scale a coaching or or any other professional business? I, I think it's um, a matter of a single question that I would ask somebody when they join my program. I would ask somebody, how badly do you want this? I mean, don't say that you want it badly enough to pay my fee. That's not enough. <laughs> because Because people are quick to pay money, but they're not so quick to commit to doing the work. Mm. And so for me, if I'm going to be successful at what I do and get – my clients to transition into companies, then what has to happen is they have to be committed. And so when you have to sit, when you sit down and, and you're alone and you're thinking about this process, you have to ask yourself, am I really truly committed to making this happen? And does committed mean that I will do it every day, that I will work on my business every day, no matter what? And when I mean no matter what, um, I've had clients who were um, who had a family member pass away, and one of the uh, spouse would be mourning with the family while the other spouse is out uh, making sales calls. Mm. That's the kind of commitment that it takes to grow a business because, you see, that's the type of commitment it takes to generate wealth because if it were easy and if it were simple and if it were casual, then there would be only wealthy people. <laughs> <laughs> so... My thinking here is that, look, if you're truly interested in really making this happen and you're truly committed to doing the work, then I want to work with you because I want to help you get there. I know how, you know, I've, I've done it before. Ian, you've done it too. And you know what it takes to get to this stage. Mm. And I think we've seen that as you've talked through the different steps. You know, the, one of the things, I think it's easy to get an impression that building a, a business is, well, I've got, you know, I'm doing well, I'm getting plenty of clients, I'll just hire a couple of extra people to deliver that work. But it's 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 about much more than that. It's about the transition to programs. It's about hiring the right people to do that. It's about continuing to develop them up that kind of mentoring route 
um, as you've said, from, from, from someone who, who is kind of working under supervision to that, to make sure they're delivering what you need to working independently to mentoring other people. Um, there's a lot of work goes into that. It's going to, it's going to take a lot of commitment to deliver that. It's not as simple as just hiring a couple of people and then all of a sudden everything works out. Because I think, thinking, if you think about it, if you, if you were able to just hire a couple of people and they were immediately able to take over the workload, um, and, and all of a sudden it was in, you know, why would they be paying you lots of money? Why would they, why would you be getting the 60 if you're right. not really doing very much and contributing to that? You've exactly. got to have the packages in place, the programs, you've got to have the development and the learning to make it worth their while wanting to, a talented person want to join your business. That's correct. And, and for us, those of us who are coaches and consultants, there's the, excuse me, there's the systems element of this as well. And we, Briefly touched on systems, but see, again, there are specific systems that you can use to take control of a group of people who are working for you and understand on almost, if you needed to, almost on a minute-by-minute basis, what they're doing and how they're doing it. So, 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 so that's part of the role, again, as, as a... As a CEO of a business, it's, it's, exactly. about, it's about managing the systems rather than doing the work. Right. But but I want to make it clear that, you know, someone listening to this might think to themselves, well, you know what? I'm not a software person. I'm not a systems person. And, and in many ways, it, you don't need to be. What you need to do is you need to know what you have to manage. And then you have to get somebody to help you. And these days, in our world today, in this in, in this era, in 2015, we have this beautiful thing called virtual assistants. Mm. Now, back when I had to hire secretaries and when you had to hire secretaries to show up at the office at 9 a.m. And, and work until 5 to 12 before their lunch break, um, you know, that was a different world, different era. Today, we have virtual assistants, and we can get specialists who are virtual assistants who could set up our entire sales prospecting system for some hourly rate that's way below what it would cost if we tried to hire somebody domestically. Mm. And now that those systems are in place, you can operate them. In fact, if you if you start to grow beyond yourself, um, one of the things that will probably be one of your first hires is a virtual assistant, and in this case, maybe even a PA, a personal assistant. And it's the personal assistant would be the one who is literally handling your day-to-day instructions as to what you need to accomplish for that day and then using your team to get it done. And again, listening to what I just said, you might say, well, geez, I don't have the money to go buy all these systems and I don't have the money to hire these people. Well, again, put this in perspective. First of all, the systems are, you no longer have to buy systems. That's That goes back to my, in our era, Ian, when we had to buy software or lease servers or any of this stuff. We don't have to do that anymore. Nowadays, we subscribe to systems. And some of the best systems are, you know, the most expensive of the best systems I know of are maybe $200 a month, maybe that high. And many are far less. Some, in fact, are free. So you can employ a set or a group of systems and configure them in such a way so that your entire overhead comes down to probably under $500 a month for all of your automation systems in your entire company. That's pretty cheap when you think about it. Yeah, especially when you're, you know, if you're at the level where you're thinking of bringing on other people. You know, obviously, if you're just starting out and you haven't built your own client base, then this is not for you yet. 
This right. is for when you're a successful coach or consultant or lawyer, whatever it might be, and you're moving to the next level of needing to bring other people on. Where if you're, if you're at that level, then certainly a few hundred dollars every month should be affordable. Right. And there, like I said before, even for those who are beginning out, there are ways to choose systems that start out as free or just 10 or $20 a month. Yeah. But if you choose correctly, they will scale as you grow alongside of you. And yes, the expense will increase a little bit, but for what you're getting and for the services they provide, it's an incredible value. Indeed, indeed. Hey, Mitch, this has been really great. This is a, a kind of a, a different topic to one I, I normally explore. Really interesting stuff and some really practical tips for people on how they can move to a level where they are beginning to bring other people in, on board to their business and the, the 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 things they need to go through so they so that they don't make those mistakes of just hiring a few people and then you know ending up with those people leaving clients leaving the quality not being right etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's been really valuable thank you so much for doing that um, if pleasure. people want to get more of this advice more tips on building a a coaching business where should they go to well i have a website it's called coachingsystemarchitect.com and it's on that website that I uh, that I illustrate exactly how this process works, everything we've talked about today, and you have a chance to enroll and in my system, in my masterclass, and be mentored by me through my systems and and through our personal contact. Excellent. So if if you're at that level where you 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 are thinking of you need you need to grow, you need to scale, and for you bring on board other people is 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 a good option, then definitely head over to coachingsystemarchitect.com, um, sign up there, get the free stuff, and then begin talking to Mitch. Once again, Mitch, thank you very much. Been a real pleasure, and thanks for all those insights. My pleasure, Ian. Delighted to do it. 